we decided to save some uh, channels so that we could have another channel for music. So we're just going to share a microphone. And for this part, I'm going to be talking into the pulpit microphone. If you want to call this a pulpit, hello, everybody. It's great to see y'all. It is worth it. The platform is beautiful, absolutely worth it. And praise the Lord, half of an air conditioner in here is going to be just fine for today. God has taken care of us, and we are thankful. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Ward. I'm the associate pastor here, and I do actually have a Ph.D. in what is called free church studies, free church theology. Baptists belong to a tradition called the free church tradition. And so guess what? I love this topic. I was thrilled when David had to go out of town. That's just fine. Let me me at it. Let's talk about being free and what it really means, and hopefully we'll, we'll share some things that are encouraging to you all. But we're going to start with this in your order of service and on your notes. There is a blank, a blank in the title. It is for, what do you think that word is? Freedom. Christ set us free. I want everyone to let it be known that I have set the record for the earliest blank to be filled. Here is what Jesus said in John chapter 8. And yes, uh, Bob, I understand. i got to wear these things to read now. Lord have mercy. Not free from glasses. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 8. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really are free. So if you are a Christian, you are truly free. So here we are. The freest people in a free nation on a Sunday that we celebrate our freedom. But do we really appreciate what we have. Uh, And it is a very appropriate day to cover one final doctrine in the Baptist faith and message, and that's what's actually printed in your order of service, the doctrine of religious liberty. So the next 30 minutes is going to sound a little bit like a sermon, a little bit like a history lecture, and a little bit like your high school civics class. Just stick with me. We will all be rewarded with lunch. So, so far today, Ben's hinted at this, Robin has hinted at this. We've sung songs that put two different perspectives on freedom. We have freedom from tyranny, and we have freedom from the penalty of sin. And if you've looked ahead to the song choice for our going home song and for our invitation song, you know where I'm going to end up. But I want to spell out these two perspectives of freedom. First, the passage you know from Matthew chapter 22. They asked Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And so Jesus says, show me the coin used for the tax. Whose image and inscription is this? And they said, well, it's Caesar's. So Jesus said to them, give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. 
and then Galatians chapter 5, which is where the title for this message comes from, where Paul says it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. He goes on in verse 13 to say, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another in love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. And I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. And if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So I want you to see two perspectives and how they kind of act like ships passing in the night. There in your notes you have some blanks. We're going to point out these perspectives. Just think about, Jesus says, if, you, if the Son has set you free, you'll be free indeed. And what is the Jews thought? Great, does this mean we have to pay taxes still? That's where they went. That's not where Jesus was going. So, first line, freedom from the tyranny of government. Have fun fitting that in that space, sorry. Freedom from the tyranny of government or freedom from the tyranny of sin. Second line, is it freedom from obeying laws or freedom from the penalty of capital L law? And the third line, is it freedom to do as I please or freedom to live for Christ? So you got two perspectives in those columns. One of them is pretty selfish. One of them isn't. Which one of these should we be worried about? So what we're going to do today, we're going to use Romans chapter 13 as our text. We're going to use a history lesson as our illustration. And we're going to use the Baptist doctrine of religious liberty as our application. Here we go. And yes, this is like three weeks' worth of lectures. It's going to be condensed into maybe maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Those of you who've heard me preach before know that we're, we're taking a risk. Romans chapter 13. You know this verse, verse 1. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Verse 3, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good. You'll have its approval. Verse 6, and for this reason you pay taxes. Since the authorities are God's servants continuously attending to these taxes. So pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes. Tolls to those you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect and honor to those you owe honor. But don't actually owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Then down in verse 13, So therefore let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual impurity or promiscuity, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So you got three more blanks down there. We're going to fill those in. Yes, so much easier with the screen, let's be honest. These three blanks kind of put everything out there. 
Christians submit to the government because, one, God instituted governments for society's good. That's why God instituted them. Number two, because Christian behavior is a higher standard than our laws. Y'all catch that? If you're living as a Christian, you should be living as a higher standard than the people around you. The number three, Christians submit to the government because we put the needs of others ahead of our own. We can get that. That's basically all of it. We can go home. But no, I've got to explain this. That's my job. When Paul talks about freedom, his application is to love one another. Why do you have freedom? So you can love one another. Our freedom is to love as Jesus loved. Now, we tend to get hung up on if the government's infringing on our freedoms. Our first question should and always must be, can I still love my neighbor as Jesus would love them? And today's topic is one of the most important and overlooked applications of loving our neighbor as ourself. Nothing rounds up people like politics or religion. So we're going to talk about religion in politics, all right? And it's going to require us to put our neighbor first. Baptists have traditionally taken a very unpopular view on this subject because we uniquely appreciate one very important truth. God alone is the Lord of conscience. Every other religious group has been more than happy to use the government to enforce their religious views. You have Catholics, Muslims, Anglicans, Presbyterians. They have all been using the government or willing to use the government to enforce what they believe, not Baptists. And it's very simple. Can a forced confession of faith get you into heaven? No, cannot. Whose approval are we really supposed to be worried about? Man's or God's? So the truth is simple. Forced religion is no true religion. A church that relies on the power of the sword and not the sword of the Spirit is no true church. When we stand before God, God is going to ask us what we believe about Jesus. So it's history lesson time. Love this. July 4th, 1776. Let's go. The signing of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Those are foundational words. They're great. Unfortunately, at the time, uh, some people were more equal than others. You remember the Puritans, the New England way. It was a part of their colony charter that in order to have voting rights, you had to be a member in good standing of the, the approved church. And it also really helped to be male. And white. And a landowner. And a man named Roger Williams called them out on this hypocrisy. See, the Puritans had left England because they wanted the freedom to live out Christianity as they saw fit. But in America, they were not willing to grant that freedom to others. Williams 
realized that those church leaders cared more about a well-attended church and a well-behaved citizenry than they cared about well-saved souls. They trusted more in the power of the state to regulate than they trusted the power of the Spirit to reform. And his word was, christening makes not Christians. And he was right. So he left. He left for Indian Territory, which he also believed the Puritans had no legal right to the territory of the Indians that they had claimed. So he went to the Narragansett tribe and he actually negotiated, I want property, I'm going to build a city here, and he built Providence. Now this is for your notes. The very first declaration of freedom of religion was by King Charles II in 1660, so this is just after the English Civil War ended, to Roger Williams for the Rhode Island colony. The first time in history that a monarch had given freedom of religion to anybody. And Williams admitted that this was what he called a lively experiment. This is what he said. He said that the most flourishing civil state may stand and best be maintained with the full liberty and religious concernments and that true piety rightly grounded upon gospel principles will give the best and greatest security to sovereignty and will lay in the hearts of men the strongest, strongest obligations to true loyalty. In other words, people who are allowed to practice their religion freely from their hearts will be more committed and better citizens than people who are forced to say and do things of religious nature that they don't believe. He's right. So let's skip ahead a century. Now I'm really getting warmed up here. The most important event for developing the, the American identity was what we call the Great Awakening. Between 1737 and 1740, a man named George Whitfield preached to quite literally three quarters of all the adults living in America. Thousands upon thousands of adults came to faith in Jesus Christ. And the marginalized Baptists and Methodists embraced this revival, and their churches grew rapidly. Men with no training and no recognition from the established churches built churches out of Christians who were not welcome in those old churches. And they started to think, maybe those old churches aren't right about everything after all. Maybe people should be free to read and interpret the Bible for themselves. And this absolutely fed into the American desire for independence. There are secular historians who try to downplay that. They're wrong. If we can build our own churches, then that means we can build our own society, which means that we must be able to build our own government. They had their ideas of what society should look like. They wanted the right to make the government to make it happen. But things were uneven in the American colonies. Five of the colonies had a state church. Eleven of the colonies had a religious test to be able to run for office. You remember the phrase, no taxation without representation. Well, the Catholics and the Jews said, uh, what about us? And so there are two Baptist preachers. Their, their names are listed there. Isaac Bacchus and John Leland. Important to know, Bacchus was a part of the Constitutional Convention. He was a Baptist preacher. He threw his support behind the Constitution because it had a non-establishment clause for religion. But they knew that that wasn't going to be enough. 
if there isn't freedom of religion throughout America, we will never be united. But to get the Constitution passed, they kind of wanted to ignore religion. I understand that. But to get the Baptist support, they said, there must be a future guarantee of the freedom of religion for everyone. And that became in 1791, you guessed it, the Bill of Rights. So flip your notes page over. You've got the numbers 1 through 10 on there. How many of you all came in here and said, Bill of Rights? That's what we're going to do. I want to know how many of you all know the Bill of Rights. And so I want you to actually keep track for yourself if you knew that or not. This is just because not I'm keeping score. We're not having a win or anything. I just want to know. So, what is the First Amendment to the Constitution? Freedom of, kind of, in general. Shout some things out. Freedom of the press. Freedom of speech. Thank you. Oh, come on. Get this, that one. Freedom of religion and also freedom of assembly. Good. Number two, what is the Second Amendment? You should know this right now. The right to keep and bear arms. Very good. Wearing short sleeves today. What is the Third Amendment? This one has never come up in a Supreme Court argument. It is protection against quartering soldiers in peacetime. Hadn't, hadn't really been a thing. What about the Fourth Amendment? What is the Fourth Amendment? Next. That's the next one. This is no unreasonable search and seizure. Fourth Amendment. Fifth Amendment. Right not to incriminate oneself. What else, though? What, what else do we have in the Fifth Amendment? Right to due process. And no double jeopardy. Don't forget that one. Sixth Amendment. What is the Sixth Amendment? Right to? When, when the air conditioner is going, I can hear very little other than the air conditioner. So let's find out if you said this or not. Right to trial by jury. Right to face your accuser. The right to legal counsel. What about the Seventh Amendment? Not a single person in this room is going to get this. Nope, nope, there's no way he even gets No, No one rules on this anymore. <laughs> it is this very strange one that judges cannot overturn a finding of fact in a, in a previous court. How about the Eighth Amendment? Who knows the Eighth Amendment? The last one was uh, protection against findings of fact. It's pretty obscure. I don't even know what it means, all right? Eighth Amendment. What is the Eighth Amendment? Cruel and unusual punishment. You have rights against that. You also have rights against excessive fines. Very good. Ninth Amendment. This actually has come up on Facebook recently, if you all have noticed this. What is the Ninth Amendment? The Constitution does not include an exhaustive list of rights. And then the Tenth Amendment. What's the Tenth Amendment? Separation of powers. Federal government, state government. These things are all important. Now, how many of you knew half of those? Okay, we got a few. Good. Uh, more than half? Okay, actually, no, that's not good. 
Hang on. Okay, y'all, we need to know our rights. They're important. Yes, don't break the law. You don't have to worry about that. But know your rights. It's a good thing. (laughs) We're going to, of course, focus on the First Amendment, which is that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Baptists pushed hard for that because it's a part of what we believe. Salvation is freely given and must be freely received. So therefore, and this is one of your blanks, Baptists do believe that a free church and a free state is the Christian ideal. The Christian ideal. Now there are billions of people living not under those conditions. And that has not stopped the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's the ideal, which means that as far as it's up to us, we should seek and act to preserve and promote religious freedom, a free church in a free state. But let's look at what this means through the lens of the Baptist faith and message. We've already noted the critical phrase that God alone is the Lord of the conscience. Anyone who thinks you can control religion doesn't really understand what religion is. So I'm going to camp out here for a minute. It's lesson time. There's no space in your notes for this because there's just no space. I just want to make sure we understand this. Religion is the name that we give to people's attempts to come to God. God has put in every person what we call a God-shaped hole. And we're always seeking to fill it. And all back in history, people will look to natural phenomena, the sun, the moon, the waves, the tides. They'll give names to those things. They'll make them their gods. They'll build a religion out of them. It's what people do. Or they'll create a, a language to express what has happened in the world, and that'll become the foundation for the scriptures on which they'll build a religion, and that's how they try to shape their lives. Or people will realize this is a really great way that I can manipulate others into giving myself power, and so they'll build a religion that consolidates their own power. And Christianity has developed as a religion in that way. We have pianos, pulpits, Hymns, speakers, buildings, fellowship lunches, things that we've done to try to help one another express what we believe about God and share with God our worship of Him. That is our religion. There's a difference, though. The Christian religion is based on the one true story of the one true God. The only reason we have any of this is because God himself chose to intervene in history and reveal these things to us. We didn't figure this out. We didn't puzzle this together. God revealed it to us. Not because we were worthy, but because he loves us. Jesus Christ stepped into our story, not because we deserved it, but because he loves us. And then he founded a church so that we could take that message to the rest of the world so that humans would hear it 
and believe it. So let's say you've got in your head, I want Christianity to be the national religion of America. First question, is that going to make more people saved? No matter what, is our responsibility as Christians to take the message freely to people so they can freely respond to it and decide for themselves that they're going to commit their life, their faith, their eternal security in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ? It must be received freely. But then there's yet another question. Which flavor of Christianity are you talking about? All right, let's say that someone goes to the the floor and says, I am passing a law that says that only ice cream is the allowed dessert in the United States of America. Okay? Well, uh, like what? Every flavor of ice cream? How much stuff can you put into ice cream and have it still be ice cream? Like what about ice cream sandwiches or ice cream cones? Is that still... Like what, what about gelato? You know? How about yogurt? That's close. Milkshake. It's just melted ice cream, right? Is that okay? How's, how's this going to work? Which version of Christianity becomes the official version? There are significant differences between how Baptists practice Christianity and how Methodists practice Christianity. Significant differences in how a Calvinist approaches the Bible and an Arminian. The difference between the social gospel and the prosperity gospel is very significant. And you say, well, that's fine. We're going to make an umbrella. Everybody's Christian will fit under the umbrella. Who decides how big the umbrella is? Y'all Mormons say they're Christians. Unitarian Universalists say they're Christians. The way that this works is that freedom of religion must be freedom of religion for everybody, even if they're following a false religion. It's our job to take the truth to them, not the government's job. And that means that Baptists support the rights of Muslims to practice their religion, of Jews to practice their religion. If you don't agree with what they practice, well, then share the gospel with them. Let them make the decision for themselves. The golden rule works both ways. Do you want the right to believe in Jesus and worship Jesus as you see fit? Then give other people the right to disagree with you. Do you want the right to share Jesus with somebody and try to convince them that the truth of Jesus Christ is right? Then you must give them the right to say no. One day God may call you to be a missionary in a Muslim-controlled country, and this will make a lot more sense. This perspective is baked into everything we practice as Baptists. As an individual, I freely come to First Baptist Church and say, I would like to be a member of First Baptist Church. Y'all freely admit me into membership. And if something goes off the rails somewhere down the road, you or I can say, maybe we need to put a pause on this relationship. As First Baptist Church... We go to the other Baptist churches in our area, so we would like to freely associate with you in the Kilpatrick Baptist Association. They say, we are glad that you want to do that. But if something goes off the rails somewhere down the road, we or they can say, hey, you know what? This is not working. We don't want you to associate with us anymore. Same thing at the Southern Baptist Convention level. We want to be a part of this. 
Those other churches have the freedom to say, you can call yourself whatever you want. We don't have to recognize you as a member of our fellowship. Does this make sense? I mean, yes, there is one heaven. There is one way to heaven. There is one Bible that shares that way to heaven with us, and it can only be entered through a free decision on our part to trust in Jesus Christ. And when a person does, that person has free access to God in Jesus Christ. don't need anybody else to intervene on their behalf. We go freely before God, taking the needs of one another before Him. And that means, this is where it all comes back around, We are personally and individually accountable to God for what we do, what we say, and what we believe. And that means that individuals who are personally accountable to God for what they believe must be able to disagree with one another. And that also means that non-Christians or anti-Christians must have the right to be wrong. There's only one solution to all of this, and that is sharing the gospel. All right, soapbox. Done. Back to the statement. God has left the conscience free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are contrary to his word or not contained in it. We mentioned this before. God's authority supersedes the government's authority. As the government ordered you to do something against your conscience, you have the right responsibility to obey your conscience and disobey the government. That's what we call a conscientious objector. But just make sure that your conscience is actually based on the clear word of God and not your personal preference. Statement continues. You know what? There is a point here. Don't blame your Sunday school teacher, your pastor, a bishop, a pope. It's your responsibility what you believe. We are here to help. We're here to help try to explain what we think the Bible says. You've got to take personal responsibility for what you believe. What you believe and why. You want the government to leave you alone in what you believe? Great. Everybody wants that. Okay, back. The statement continues. Church and state should be separate. This is my very last campsite, I promise. The rest of the statement just kind of elaborates on that. Separation of church and state. We've all heard what Thomas Jefferson said to the Warren Baptist Association. There should be a wall of separation between church and state. It's wrong. T.J. was wrong. It's because he understood things the way that a lot of denominations understand things and what every anti-Christian misunderstands. The church is not an institution. We are a congregation of individual Christians. There is not a capital C church. There are thousands of churches with millions of Christians who are parts of them. 
And what do those millions of Christians happen to be? We are also citizens of the United States of America with the rights and responsibilities and privileges thereof. We can vote. We can petition the government. We can pursue public office. We do so as Christians. There's not a Christian me and an American me. There's one me. I am both a Christian and an American. But the government is an institution, an institution that exists of the people, by the people, for the people. We are that people. All right? So here's the last set of blanks on your page. A government should not tell a church what to do. But a citizen should tell a government what to do. We are citizens who are Christians. If we believe that the Bible teaches that life begins at conception, then our stance on abortion is not a religious stance. It's about the right of people to live. We are getting our truth from the Bible about the rights and authority of parents, uh, information about human gender and sexuality, about the rights of the poor and the oppressed. That's no different than any other source that other people are getting. And I sure trust the Bible a lot more than why. I don't know where they're getting their information from. Certainly no more religious or less. We think about people the way that God wants us to think about people. That is not religious. That is how we apply truth to society. But at the same time, we respect the fact that there's a difference between telling the government to pass laws that reflect a Jesus approach to society and love your neighbor as yourself society and imposing your own personal religious preferences. There is a difference between those two. So let's finish this statement. The rest is pretty easy to follow. The state owes to every church, and church doesn't have to be a Christian church, protection and full freedom in the pursuit of its spiritual ends. In providing for such freedom, no ecclesiastical group or denomination should be favored by the state more than others. Civil government being ordained of God, it is the duty of Christians to render loyal obedience thereto in all things not contrary to the revealed will of God. Don't like the latest building code? Don't like the latest OSHA rec, uh, regulation? Don't like that parking ticket you just got? Okay, deal with it. All right, God gave governments the authority to enforce laws. You don't like that law? Work to have it changed. Statement continues. The church should not resort to the civil power to carry on its work. The gospel of Christ contemplates spiritual means alone for the pursuit of its ends. The state has no right to impose penalties for religious opinions of any kind. The state has no right to impose taxes for the support of any form of religion. A free church and a free state is the Christian ideal. And this implies the right of free and unhindered access to God on the part of all people and the right to form and propagate opinions in the sphere of religion without interference by the civil power. Let's summarize it like this. We believe in the power of the sword of the Spirit, not the sword of Caesar, to do our work. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we don't fight with the weapons of this world. We demolish arguments. 
We oppose the pride that stands in the way of the knowledge of God. We take our thoughts captive to God. Like Roger Williams, our priority is not a well-behaved society. Our priority is the eternal destination of souls. That's why we give to Caesar what is Caesar's. God put us here to be salt and light in this community. And then we also give to God what is God's. And what does God want more than anything? He wants people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He created those people. He loves them. Jesus died for them. That's what he wants. Our freedom in Christ is not for us. Our freedom in Christ is so that we can live for others. To think about the needs of other people before our own. And I promise that the inconveniences we face here pale in comparison to what people living around the world experience on a daily basis. And I promise that they are nothing compared to what the soul will experience separated from God for eternity. Yes, a free church and a free state is the ideal scenario to share the gospel with love and respect with our world that is lost and dying. And that's why Baptists care so much about religious liberty. That's what it means. It's liberty for everyone, including those who disagree with us. If it's liberty only for people who agree with you, that's not actually liberty. All right? As American citizens, we have responsibilities. We have rights. And the same is true as Christians. We have responsibilities. And we have rights. One way or the other, I think Paul is right when he says that what really matters is that we are to put others first. Our freedom is not for ourselves. It is for others. So I'm going to switch over to the other microphone because then that allows me to come stand down here because it seems like it's better to be closer. I hope you've heard the most important message of all of this, which is nothing really matters unless you have freely made the decision to come to Jesus Christ for salvation. If there's anybody in this room who has not done that or you aren't sure you've done that, please come talk to me or Ben or somebody before you leave. Nothing else matters if we haven't started there. But then you've seen in this, and I hope you've seen the value in it. We freely associate with one another here at First Baptist Church. We fr I want to be a part of First Baptist Church. I have the right to do that. They have the right to admit me into this, this membership. If that might be you. Do you want to become a part of First Baptist Church? Please come on. Let's talk about that. You know what we didn't bring in here, Christy? Would uh, you go grab them, please? There's always something. There's always something that I freely forget. And I don't know what other free decision God might be putting in your heart. Maybe you are being called to ministry. Maybe you're being called to take on a new role here at First Baptist Church. We have individual access to God, free access to God. And He wants us to do something with that that makes a difference. And so, listen to what God is calling you to do. Take advantage of that freedom. You are accountable to God for you. And God wants to give you everything you need to live out that accountability. Religious liberty. It's a great topic. Love it. It's also not the easiest topic to talk about because I'm always going to say something that some of you are not going to, you're going to freely disagree with. 
And that's okay. That's how it works. That's why I believe Baptists are right on this. We must have the right to disagree because we are free to believe what we're going to believe. So in just a moment, we are going to respond. We're going to respond with the song Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. I've been set free. There's nothing more important than the freedom from sin that Jesus Christ gives us. All right? Let's never miss that. All the talk that we have about being free. Y'all, being free from sin and the penalty of sin is really what matters. So let's pray together and let's respond as God would have us respond. God, thank you for giving us freedom from the real tyrant, and that is sin. The penalty of sin being death. The scourge of death being the law. You've set us free from that. But God, right now, speak into our hearts and help us know not to use our freedom as an excuse to indulge ourselves and be selfish, but as a reason and an ability to serve the world around us. I don't know what responses anybody needs to make in here, but I pray you make it clear to all of our hearts what it is that you would have us do in response to learning that we are free. We are free in Jesus Christ, and we're so thankful that you put us in the United States of America. We pray that you help us use the freedoms we have here to reinforce the freedom we have in Jesus. Share this message with people who need to know. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Invite all of you to stand if you would, and let's respond.